Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi there, I'm Alan Cross, and welcome to Driven by Her. This is a special new podcast series from the ongoing history of new music presented by our new friends at Porsche Canada. Porsche was founded on the pursuit of a dream, much like the careers of some of the women who will be featured over the next few weeks. In this series, we'll be exploring trailblazers and hitmakers, dynamic, driven women who live by their own rules and change the face of music around the world along the way. This time, show number one, it's a subject that's fascinated me ever since I saw Karen Carpenter play on a TV special in 1976. Now, let me explain. Many, many years ago, I remember sitting in the living room with my mom and my grandmother watching the Carpenters perform on some kind of TV variety thing that they did. It was called the Carpenters' First Television Special. About 15 minutes in, I saw something I'd never seen before. Karen Carpenter, this, you know, small woman with this adult contemporary voice, busted out with a drum solo running from kit to kit, playing some pretty hot licks that would not have been out of place in some big band from the 1930s or even some arena rock gig of the era. So, you know, multiple drum sets, temple blocks, timbales, cowbells, even a big gong. I'd, of course, heard and seen drum solos before, but this was different. This was a girl playing the drums. So my grandmother, who's sitting on the couch, harumphed, look at that, a woman playing the drums. Not very ladylike. Look, she's getting all sweaty. Imagine. I will be honest, my young self was confused too. I didn't know girls could play the drums, so this was a revelation. Second, the carpenters weren't exactly rock, so I hadn't paid much attention to them. And if I had, there was little in their songs that indicated that Karen Carpenter was such an awesome drummer. I later learned that she did not consider herself a singer who played the drums. Karen believed that she was a drummer who just happened to sing. So, if there was one woman out there who could play this well, there had to be others, right? Were there more female drummers? At this time, and this is the mid-70s, the answer was, "Mm, not really. But there were a few, and in the decades that followed, more and more appeared. And today, female drummers are really everywhere, comprising a worldwide sisterhood that some have called Chicks with Sticks. Like any artist in the world, they were dreamers, driven by that one thing that they needed to do more than anyone else, the one thing that they were truly passionate about. And in all cases, the one thing that made them feel truly free, pursuing this passion. It's what drove them 
to singularly focus on crafting their unique talent and chase their dreams down, whatever road it happened to lead them. But the road wasn't easy. There were a lot of roadblocks, plenty of skepticism, and loads and loads of sexism. Barriers needed to be broken down. Attitudes needed to be changed. And abilities and talent proven over and over and over again. This is the story of women with rhythm who changed the way we look at music. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. The Go-Go's, the first all-female band to make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the first all-female band who wrote their own music to have some number one hits. And holding down the rhythm was the indomitable Gina Shock. Hello there, I'm Alan Cross, and welcome to the Driven by Her series, a special new podcast from the ongoing history of new music presented by our friends at Porsche Canada. And like I said, this time, it's a subject that's fascinated me ever since I saw Karen Carpenter play on that TV special in 1976. The fascination isn't that women can play drums. Of course they can. But the fights they had to endure to prove their legitimacy and talent to the rest of the world, especially the male-dominated music industry, is, is a really interesting tale. Women have been beating drums since ancient times. And I mean really, really ancient. The oldest known instrument is something known as a frame drum. It's like a big tambourine, some kind of skin stretched over a shallow circular frame and it's held in one hand and then struck by the other, you know, with a stick, maybe maybe your fingers, maybe the palm of your hand, whatever. We have archaeological evidence of drummers from the wall of a shrine in present-day Turkey that dates back 9,300 years. It's a human figure with a frame drum and it's a woman, probably a priestess of some sort. Drums were used in ritual and religious ceremonies, and as religious leaders, women were in charge of the beats. And again, this is almost 10,000 years ago. The very first drummer we know by name is Lepuchiao. She was the granddaughter of Nerissim, a Sumerian king, and she was probably a priestess too. Other archaeological evidence from other areas of Mesopotamia, Egypt, and the indigenous peoples of the Americas and Australia reveal cultures where women played the drums. And if you want to go to the Bible, there are even mentions of women keeping the beat there too. But then things started to go off the rails. In the second century, Clement of Alexandria attacked musicians, all musicians, focusing on percussionists of all kinds, saying that playing such instruments made them members of an insane cult. Those were his words. Dude sounds like fun. Pope John Paul III banned the tambourine from all of Christendom because rhythm and music led to heathenism. Then, in the year 526, the church banned all women from taking part in any kind of music lessons, including singing. And this is the way it was for a thousand years. But then we meet Teresa of Avila. She was a nun who defied hundreds of years of prohibition and started playing the drum and dancing in church to her own beat. And although she created a scandal, Teresa was able to bring the drum back into the church as a respectable and suitable instrument for use in worship and ceremony. But when it came to the wider world, drumming was on the list of instruments declared unsuitable for women because banging on something was considered unfeminine. Baldassare Castiglione, an Italian diplomat and philosopher, wrote this. 
Imagine with yourself what an unsightly matter it were to a woman play upon a drum. This is because the boisterousness of them doth both cover and take away that sweet mildness which setteth so forth every death that a woman doeth. Uh, not really sure what that means, but it sounds like he's really not in favor of women playing drums. Drums weren't the only such instrument to be declared unfeminine. Playing the piano was okay. The violin was fine. The acoustic guitar? No, kind of bulky. It looked weird. The flute? Nope. Any brass instruments? No way. It took until the jazz age of the early 1900s for all that to begin to change. Starting around 1910, all female bands started showing up on the vaudeville circuit. They weren't really taken all that seriously, even though many of the musicians were really, really good. But such bands were presented as novelties, and it mattered more to the promoters, and frankly the audiences, how they looked rather than how well they played. Still, it was progress of a sort. Marion Penke played the drums for her group, the All-Female Orchestra, in 1916. She was followed by Mitzi Bush, the drummer for an all-girl band called the Bricktops. Estelle May Diddy played drums for the Hollywood Redheads, starting just after World War I. Jazz really caught on in the 1920s, the same way rock and hip-hop later became cultural sensations. Jazz, combined with a new permissiveness that followed the Great War, created more aspiring musicians. Many of them were women, and more than just a few were drummers. This was also the beginning of school band programs in American schools. Because the general public had moved away from the marching bands of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, musical instrument manufacturers needed to find new customers, so they started targeting schools. Young women were encouraged to join band programs, but only if they played the so-called feminine instruments. About the only acceptable instrument for a girl was the marimba, and even that was pushing it. Still, there were some outliers and pioneers. Mary McClenahan started playing drums at age five, and by the time she was a young woman, she was the featured player in an all-girl orchestra that regularly performed on the NBC radio network. There was Pauline Brady of a group called the International Sweethearts of Rhythm, an orchestra led by Ivy Benson, an English band leader, employed a series of female drummers. But again, none of them were really taken all that seriously. It was all terribly sexist and patronizing. One male conductor wrote, The gentler sex was deemed devoid of sufficient strength and stamina to meet the challenge of playing drums. The spectacle of a girl engaging in such physical exertion is not attractive. Let me read you a passage from the February 1938 issue of Downbeat magazine, which was at the time the premier magazine for jazz lovers. The article was called, Why Female Musicians Are Inferior. Can you imagine something like that being published today. There's no name on the article, but this could only have been written by a man. I quote, The woman musician was never capable of sending anyone further than the nearest exit. If more girl drummers had cradle-rocking experience before their musical endeavors, they might come closer to getting it on the beat. Whoa. But then came World War II. The men who populated the big bands of the era were drafted, leaving plenty of openings. And by 1942, Music magazines and newspapers were filled with ads from band leaders desperate for anyone, even women, to fill slots in their orchestras. And this finally gave women a chance to show what they could do. This brings us to our first really big name, Viola Smith. She was born in Wisconsin in 1912. 
She started playing drums at age 11. Her father ran this band, featuring all the members of the family, and each kid was expected to pick up an instrument. And by the time he got to Viola, all the instruments were taken except the drums, so that became her job by default. Viola began touring with the family band in the early 1920s. By 1938, she and her sister Mildred had their own 12-piece big band called the Coquettes. And Viola was a force of nature. She was so good that she made the cover of Billboard magazine in February 1940. In 1942, Viola struck out on her own and became a drummer for hire, not only because she was good, but because she had a huge kit with a couple of timpanis, multiple tom-toms, an oversized kick drum, and big gong drums mounted up high on either side of her head. Listen, this, this would have made Neil Peart proud. And she was a treat to watch and sometimes performed solos using drumsticks that had been dipped in radium. So the lights would go out and then all the audience would see were these dismembered drumsticks flying around. It was all very physical, very entertaining, very flamboyant for anyone and not just a girl. Viola Smith became known as the world's fastest drummer, and she would later study and perform with jazz greats like Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. She played all over the world before she finally retired from professional life in 1974. She continued to offer lessons and mentorship almost up until the time she died in 2020 at the age of 107. By the time World War II ended, the big band era was over. The trend was towards smaller combos for four, five, or six people. Soldiers came back from the war, and their female stand-ins were no longer required. It became harder for women musicians to find work, and the old sexist attitudes returned. Girls can't play drums, and all that. A few women were able to fight that. Tiny Davis, Helen Cole, Sheila Pearson, and Kay Carlson were a few names of the era. Dottie Dottagen played briefly with Benny Goodman's big band. Meanwhile, after 50 years of dominating music culture, jazz was fading. So the new thing was rock and roll, and that opened some new opportunities. Well, not right away. The old chauvinism was still there, so there weren't many female rock drummers at first. But we can name three. Tina Ambrose, the drummer for the Ravens, a group from Britain. Honey Lantry from the London-based band The Honeycombs. And this is a group from Connecticut called The Ramrods, featuring Claire Lane on drums. This is their hit from 1962. The Ramrods, featuring Claire Lane, one of the first female drummers of the rock era. While the sexist attitudes towards women playing drums continued through the 1960s, there was progress made. There were a few other pioneering female drummers in the 60s. Ginger Bianco kept time for an all-girl band called Goldie and the Gingerbreads, starting in 1962. They were the first all-female band to sign a major record deal. Then there was Nancy Ball, who played drums with the Pleasure Seekers out of Detroit. And yes, that's the same group that gave us future star Susie Quattro. And they sounded like this. Jenny Jones was a runaway from London, Ontario, who ended up in L.A. playing drums for an all-girl band called The Cover Girls. She'd later be discovered by Wayne Newton and found a gig in Las Vegas. And then remember the daytime talk show, The Jenny Jones Show? That was back in the 90s. Yeah, that was her. And in the UK and Europe, there was Chrissy Lee. She started drumming in a Salvation Army band when she was just four years old. 
and she would eventually go on to perform with Frank Sinatra, Fats Domino, Tom Jones, Dinah Washington, and many others. When she was in a band called The Beat Chicks, they opened for The Beatles on a tour of Spain. And here they are with an international hit called Skinny Minnie. The Beat Chicks, featuring drummer Christy Lee from 1964, and she would later go on to have many, many gigs at concert halls and jazz festivals around the planet. She also got heavily into education, holding drum clinics around the globe. Next, we encounter Mo Tucker, the original drummer for the Velvet Underground, one of the most influential underground groups of all time. She didn't pick up the sticks until she was 19 and immediately joined the Velvets. Playing in this weirdo New York band sounded way more fun than being a key punch operator at IBM, so why not? Mo wasn't exactly what you would call a conventional rock drummer. First of all, she played standing up. She played mostly with mallets, not sticks. There was a snare drum and a couple of tom-toms, but no cymbals. And most striking of all, her bass drum was on its side, and she played it kind of like a marching band drum or a timpani. Her contributions was to keep time and to offer some deep backbeats to what her bandmates were doing. That was her job. Visually, this was very striking. And on record, it was subtle, but mesmerizing. By the late 1960s, female drummers were still a curiosity, but not quite the rarity that they once were. With the rise of the women's lib movement, more girls were motivated to move into an area of music long dominated by men. More all-female bands started cropping up. And with them, of course, female drummers. They were San Francisco's Ace of Cups. They were an all-female group formed in 1967 and featured Diane Vitalich on drums. They opened for Jimi Hendrix and were friends with both the Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead. Fanny was an excellent all-female group from California who went further than any such rock band to that point. Keeping the beat for them were two women, Brie Brandt and then Alice DeBure, who was a vet of several all-female bands. With DeBure, they ended up with a major label deal with Warner, making them the third all-female group behind Goldie and the Gingerbreads and the Pleasure Seekers to have that kind of deal. Fanny was really, really good and should have become worldwide superstars. I mean, David Bowie was one of their biggest champions. Here's a sample from their 1970 debut album, Pay close attention to the drums. So good. Unfortunately, Fanny became a victim of the old boys club in the recorded music industry and weren't given their due as musicians and songwriters. Hey, they were expected to be cute and dress sexy and, you know, be this docile girl group. You know, just do your girl thing. They refused and that hurt their career. But after they broke up, original drummer Brent Bree, who returned to the group for their fourth album, went on to tour and perform with Elton John, ELO, Carol King, and Jimmy Buffett, among others. And if you get a chance, look up the documentary Fanny, The Right to Rock. Excellent film, and you'll see what I mean about this group being very, very good. As the 70s wore on, more female drummers appeared. Olivia Favela in an all-women band called Birthday and The Runaways, anchored on drums by 15-year-old Sandy West. We can safely call them the first all-female hard rock band in history to receive international attention. 
That, of course, is the group that gave us Joan Jets and future Bengals bass player Mickey Steele, along with guitar goddess Lita Ford. Together with singer Cherry Curry and bass player Jackie Fox, they rock pretty good. Unfortunately, the Runaways were managed and marketed badly. Jailbait on the run was one advertising slogan that was used. And the sexist attitude that girls couldn't rock doomed them. There were also internal issues and problems with drugs. And then Sandy died in 2006 of lung cancer at the age of 47. Now let's move into punk rock. One of the central tenets of the original punk rock scene was that if you had something to say, you should be able to say it, no matter who you were or what kind of musical ability you might have or not have. This was incredibly liberating for so many people, including a lot of young women. This is where we meet Paloma Romero. She was born in Spain and became part of the early punk days in the UK. She had a boyfriend named John Miller, who later changed his name to Joe Strummer. And when the clash was formed, bass player Paul Simonon dubbed her Palmolive. The whole scene inspired her to learn how to play the drums. She says she practiced for a whole week to learn how to play them. And then she joined an all-female band with a couple of 14-year-olds, and they became the Slits. Palmolive never appeared on any Slits records. She'd quit the band by then, but several of her songs were used. Instead, she moved on and joined the Raincoats, another all-female band, and one of Kurt Cobain's all-time favorite groups. This is from their 1979 debut album. By the time the 80s appeared, the idea of a female drummer wasn't a novelty or a foreign concept. The attitude of punk helped that a lot. For example, we've already mentioned the Go-Go's, a group that started playing on the L.A. punk scene and could hold their own against pretty much anyone. Gina Schock played drums for a number of other bands in different parts of the country before she ended up with the Go-Go's. They became one of the most commercially successful and musically influential female groups of all time with several multi-platinum albums and a couple of number one singles. One of their contemporaries was the Bangles. Before they morphed into a huge top 40 band, they were part of an alternative scene called the Paisley Underground. Their drummer was Debbie Peterson. Their debut album from 1984 is still a great sounding record. Since the Bengals breakup, Debbie has played with Cyndi Lauper and Tom Petty and Elvis Costello, just to name a few. Let's go through a few more names. Bobby Jean Hall is an all-around percussionist who can be heard on a ton of Motown records, including recordings by The Temptations and Diana Ross and The Supremes and Smokey Robinson and The Miracles. That's her on the Bill Withers song, Lean On Me. She's also on Carole King's Two Biggest Records. Other clients have included Bob Dylan, Leonard Skinner, Rod Stewart, Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, Dolly Parton, the Doobie Brothers, Aretha Franklin, Tracy Chapman, James Taylor, and Stevie Nicks. And if you know where to listen, you can hear Bobby Jean Hall play some percussion parts on Pink Floyd's The Wall. June Miles Kingston bought her first drum kit from Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols. She would later find gigs with Everything But The Girl, Fun Boy 3, The Thompson Twins, and The Communards. Atsuko Yamano is the drummer for Japan's legendary Shonen Knife. If there's such a thing as a Japanese all-girl version of the Ramones, that's Shonen Knife. 
Rock Goddess was Britain's answer to the Runaways. Their drummer was Julie Turner. Lynn Perko Truell was one of the few female drummers on the American hardcore scene, playing in a number of bands, including Sister Double Happiness, who toured with Nirvana and Soundgarden. Another band called Imperial Teen featured Roddy Bottom of Faith No More. Roxy Petrucci was part of Vixen, a metal band of the 1980s. I can go on. Teresa Taylor, who became known as Teresa Nervosa, was a member of, believe it or not, the Butthole Surfers. You gotta be tough to be in that kind of band. Kate Schellenbach was a member of the Beastie Boys. Yes, there was a Beastie Girl. She was the drummer for the band in their early days, their early punk rock days. And then when she moved on, she became a member of Luscious Jackson before becoming a TV producer for the Ellen DeGeneres show. There's Georgia Hubley of indie cult favorites Yolo Tango. Dee Placas of L7, great all-female grunge band. Patty Schimmel and Samantha Maloney, both of whom were members of Hole with Courtney Love. Samantha even filled in for Tommy Lee in Motley Crue when he was out of action for a while. There's Janet Weiss of the seminal riot girl band Sleater Kinney. And of course, Meg White of the White Stripes. And we can move beyond just rock. Bernadette Cooper was the founder of the all-female R&B act Climax. Jody Linscott is another all-round percussionist who has toured with Paul McCartney and Jay-Z and Phil Collins and Santana and The Who. And Sheila E. She is probably the world's most famous female percussionist. She is all over Prince's biggest records and has a long discography and performance resume of her own. Terry Lynn Carrington is a revered jazz musician. And speaking of jazz, there's Cindy Blackman. That was her first thing. But she can also do funk, Latin, her husband is Carlos Santana, and rock. And that's her and Lenny Kravitz's band. Maybe you've seen the videos. And here's Cindy doing a drum solo with Santana. All the women we've mentioned, and I know I've missed a bunch, especially from the current area, because quite frankly, there are so many of them, faced all kinds of barriers, sexism, people not taking them seriously, lack of opportunities, but they persevered and in many cases succeeded against the odds. If you're interested in learning more, look up some of the women doing drum covers on YouTube. This is when they sit behind a kit and play along to a really difficult song by a band like uh, Rush or Tool. Metal Cohen is really, really good. She kills it when covering Neil Peart's parts. There's Christina Rybalchenko, A. Yeon, who's quite tiny, but she plays like a monster. Raja Meisner, who hits as hard as Dave Grohl. And speaking of Dave, there's the adorable Nandy Bushel. She's not even a teenager yet, but if Tool ever needed someone to fill in for Danny Carey, this kid could do it. She is that good. Dave Grohl is a huge, huge fan of Nandy Bushel. The joy of music should be available to everyone, no matter who you are. And the women we've talked about are as inspiring as anyone. Let me tell you something. When you watch them play, they don't want to make you give up. They want to make you go home and practice. I hope you enjoyed this look at the greatest female drummers in history. It's part of Driven by Her, a special new podcast series from the ongoing history of new music, presented by our friends at Porsche Canada. Join me next time for a look at more trailblazers and hitmakers, dynamic women who live by their own rules and change the face of modern music around the world along the way. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Talk soon. I'm Alan Cross. 
You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you.